Welcome to the Jay Martin Show. If you're new to the show, my name is Jay. I'm an investor. I'm here looking for the smartest home for my cash. If that sounds like you, then I think you're going to like what we do here. My guest today is Florian Grooms, the founder of Midas Touch Consulting. Florian is an investor and money manager. Fascinating conversation today. We started by talking about where he's allocating capital and why, and then segued into the geopolitical landscape and how that is impacting his investment thesis and general global outlook. Always interesting catching up with Florian. Right before we jump in, if you are curious about building a portfolio in the commodity sector, maybe you've noticed that the smart money is no longer chasing overvalued tech stocks and it's beginning to invest in the raw materials that the world needs on the back of deglobalization and resource scarcity and uncertainty, then you're going to love The Commodity University. Check out thecommodityuniversity.com. This is a 10-chapter course led by myself. I'm joined by many friends like Rick Rule from the sector, many other analysts and investors, and we guide investors through a 10-chapter course on building a portfolio in the commodity sector, what to pay attention to, what to avoid, what gets investors in trouble, all of this stuff. So check out thecommodityuniversity.com. Now here is Florian Grooms. Enjoy. All right, here I am with Florian Grooms. Florian, it's great to see you and thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jay, for having me again. Pleasure to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Let's start with the high-level question just to get a sense of where your head's at and then I'll just pull on threads. What is your you know, main macro outlook right now? How are you viewing the world and what are you paying attention to? Oh, gosh. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to pay attention to. Obviously, this week, it's been the gold price, but in the in the bigger picture, well, uh, I, I think, I mean, actually, the gold price plays probably an important role in the big picture as well. So, uh, which is, of course, uh, best against East, US against China, uh, the dollar, um, uh, the, the, the falling interest rates as of the last four weeks. I mean, the 10-year the yields came down 18%, I think. Um, I, I think the market is hoping pricing in some form of a of a, a rate cut sooner than later at the moment. Um, and uh, at the same time, I, I still expect rather a crash landing. Uh, while looking at the stock markets, especially the German DAX, for example, is a new all-time high. It doesn't make sense, uh, given that there is an official recession going on in the country. So, um, yeah, a lot of confusing data is to bring it together. And basically, the answer to all this is, again, uh, the, the crack-up boom. So, uh, a weird kind of mix of of uh, uh, uh things happening that in the end of the day, leading to more loss of confidence into the financial system and into the dollar and into the currencies and people escaping in whatever hard types of assets. And this can be obviously also Bitcoin, which is also uh, had a nice run over the last uh, days. Mm. So um, it's a very tricky, challenging picture at the moment because you have the feeling like it can break everything immediately, high, highly unstable. And yet at the same time, stock markets are doing really well since uh, the, the, the end of the, the typical autumn correction. Uh, and gold had a crazy run up on Monday and uh, a big reversal down $120 uh, from, from the top intraday. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on and, and it doesn't necessarily fit all together. <laughs> when you So, actually, let's start with the idea of the crack up boom. Can you elaborate on that concept for me a little bit? 
Yeah, basically, it says that that uh, on the one hand, uh, central banks and governments have to create so much money out of thin air just to keep the system going. It's a it's a fiat system, a fiat money system, backed by nothing than thin air promises and in, in the in the best case, military, right? Um, <clears throat> and we've seen this in the past over and over again. So at some point, they have to simply print too much money, and at some point, also a critical mass or a critical threshold of the population becomes aware of that and that means that continuously loss of the confidence into these uh, currencies into these fiat currencies and obviously with double digit uh, inflation numbers over the last few years many people have realized that something is going wrong and <clears throat> since there's no way out uh, out of this debt-based fiat money system uh, but printing more uh, uh the, the whole thing just accelerates and um the, the crack up boom basically uh is a term to describe that that you see for example stock markets going higher and higher while the real economy is actually not doing that well you see uh, real estate prices going higher and higher while in the end of the day uh, there is not necessarily real new demand uh, a new supply for no sorry there's no real new demand for for real estate it's just that people trying to escape into hard assets and, uh, and, and not keeping their money uh, in the bank in the, the currency in the bank because it would lose purchasing power so it's a it's a terminology phrased by Ludwig von Mises a hundred years ago, describing the hyperinflation in Germany. Um, and um, it's obviously a long uh, process. This is not something that happens overnight or within a few days or weeks. And it's it's step by step escalating and becoming faster and faster. And as I just said in the beginning, uh, Germany, uh, the German DAX just has a new all-time high, a uh, stock market high, while uh, the economy is uh, not doing well. Actually, we have a recession here. Um, that is, for example, a clear a clear example uh, of a cracker boom where, where there's so much money printing, so much fiscal stimulus as well, while the real economic activity is not, is not reflecting that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that because we're all experiencing that. So good just to put a definition to it, you know, expanded currency debasement creates a loss of trust in, in fiat money. People begin abandoning that fiat money for hard assets. And we're watching this from the central banks all the way down to retail investors, right? It's kind of full spectrum at this point. People are looking to put optionality into their savings accounts and whatever mechanism they, they can. So would you relate that? We, we talked about gold catching a nice rally right now, Bitcoin taking off as well. Those two things, how correlated are they in your view? Uh, you mean gold and Bitcoin, how, how correlated they are? No, sorry, I mean the, the rally in gold and Bitcoin uh, on the, you know, the, the sunset uh, stages of this crack up, crack up boom. Yeah, I mean, I, with my research and my company, we have been continuously over many years, even more than a decade, focusing on those two asset classes to escape exactly that scenario of a cracker boom and they're coming at the end of the day. The final, uh, the big final will always be a hyperinflation. We might be still five or 10 years away from that, but um, uh, uh, I focus on those two asset classes. And and of course, uh, that, that the idea is that this is your safe haven, your escape, um, because uh, neither Bitcoins nor gold can be printed out of thin air. And they're basically out of the traditional uh, financial system. Um, of course, uh, 
Bitcoin, I think, is still playing the the, the arrival of the uh, spot ETF. I think that is still uh, what the market is pricing in. I was uh, very optimistic and bullish in, in January of this year, and I thought we could go to 45 and 50,000, but I thought it would happen faster. Mm. It took now more than 12 months, and um, now over the last few days and weeks, there has been coming a bit more of a momentum into the Bitcoin price. Uh, I'm not such an enthusiast as I used to be when it comes to Bitcoin. Um, uh, uh, but that's maybe a different topic. Of course, if this crack or boom continues, I think Bitcoin will be one of the fastest horses that you can bet on. But it's also a very speculative one and a very volatile one. And sitting through those uh, 75% pullbacks, uh, like we've seen in the last uh, uh, pullback in 2022, is, is tough uh, and challenging for most investors. So it has to be only a small allocation. And gold, of course, is 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 pushing higher. I mean, we've you know, I've been writing about it that I expected the breakout, and um, it's been running against this two thousand seventy five all time high uh, now many times. Um, and we we have finally a new all time high since uh, as of, of Monday um, early morning Asian trading session. Mm. However, it was kind of weird setup how it happened, and um, the 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 background I think is of course. Part of this East against West conflict, uh, you see the physical demand in Shanghai, in China, in India, in Asia, 73% of the physical demand coming out of the East, basically. Um, while in the West, there is only paper trading gold happening, 200 ounces of paper gold for one physical real ounce. Uh, and that's how you figure out the price, right? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy setup and it's going on for decades. And um, we've seen it very drastically in the last week of September, early October, uh, during the, the Golden Week in, in, in China, when the Shanghai gold market was closed. And suddenly gold dropped $140 out of nowhere, basically, within four or five days. And then Hamas invaded uh, Israel. And on Monday, you had this big gap up when the Chinese came back into the physical market, right? So, and then gold took off and we've seen this $340 rally within the last two months. I mean, it was a very big move in gold. So from that perspective, the pullback that we've seen on Monday from this new all-time high at $2,148 is justified and makes sense. Of course, profit-taking, it was thin uh, trading hours, early trading hours. So... Uh, you can argue that, it, okay, it's not necessarily massive manipulation, but uh, uh, in the end of the day, physical demand from Asia against paper trading uh, uh, in, in the West. And I think that also is very representative to what's going on between America and China um, in the big picture. So, of course, if you want to protect yourself against the cracker boom and reckless money printing, physical gold out of the system is is a very clever, very simple, easy way to do. It has worked over the last 5,000 years, and I'm pretty sure it will work over the next few decades as well. Uh, it might not be the best uh, uh, of the best return uh, returns uh, that you make with gold. I mean, Bitcoin, obviously, in, in the extreme phases will outperform gold, but um, it's a very easy uh, uh, asset to hold, in my opinion. I want to follow the East versus West narrative with you a little bit. But before I get into that, I have to ask, so 
following this thesis of the crackout boom, driving interest in alternative asset classes with less counterparty risk being gold and Bitcoin, you know, it can't be ignored that while those two classes have been rallying, so has the S&P. And so the activity looks similar, but I would assume the motivations of the buyers are different because the fundamentals are extraordinarily different. But how do you see it and how do you make sense of that? Yeah, it's a, it's a good and valid point because uh, if you, for example, look at Venezuela, the stock market went through the roof when the, the inflation started to escalate and uh, during hyperinflation. Uh, I, I mean, you could make, I don't know how many million of percentage in nominal terms with the Venezuelan stock market, right? Um, of course, it has to be mentioned that the, 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 the main drivers behind the stock market really are the Magnificent Seven. Mm. And the I boom. So um, it's not a very broad kind of stock market rally, which is generally a, a concern. Of course, you can also argue that, look, all the young uh, kids are basically spending their whole day on YouTube, on 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 uh, TikTok and a few other uh, uh, platforms uh, that are basically driven mostly by those magnificent sevens. So, uh, yes, uh, but but then again, I think it, it, and that's, again, part of the crackdown boom theory that uh, stock markets going through the roof or at least rallying strongly. And and most of the the the, the stocks are not participating. Mm. Um, I I don't think it's a very healthy picture. Um, it has also uh, to be mentioned that uh, we have a lot of oh probably now not so much anymore, but we had a lot of bears throughout the whole year. So many people recklessly tried to short the market. Uh, and that obviously drives prices also higher, right? I mean, they have to cover at some point. And and that's again also part of the crack open because it's just so illusionary. It, 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 it doesn't fit together and people feel like, yes, I have to short it because this thing will go down, but there's so much money printing and then all the short sellers have to cover their shorts and this all drives the prices higher. So um, uh, uh, I think when it comes to uh, uh, managing your investments and uh, in the perspective of crack up boom, I like to have dividend stocks uh, old school, traditional, boring dividend stocks that pay five to ten percent, just because you want to have a cash flow, uh, um, and and um, that can be even ten, twenty percent of your full uh, uh, net worth. Uh, I don't mind uh, as long as you have uh, gold and Bitcoin in the mix as well. I think it's fine. Uh, I'm not a fan of all these tech stocks, but I might also be uh, missing out something there. I mean, you cannot play all the sectors. Mm. Um, uh, but but yes, I mean the stock market is definitely also a way to protect yourself against the cracker boom. But you need to have the right stocks. And that, okay, so that's super key uh, because you know, and even as I ask the question, I'm I'm acknowledging that you know saying the market is up is a bit of a false statement. And as was pointed out to me, I was chatting with Chris McIntosh over at Capitalist Exploits last week, and he's like, you know, Jay, people always make the mistake of calling it a stock market. Really, it's a market of stocks. And there's always opportunity within that market of stocks, but not everywhere. As you mentioned, yes, the S&P is up, but the Magnificent Seven now um, accounts for 25% of the S&P, which I don't think has ever occurred before, where it's been so consolidated and carried by the performance of so few companies. And it kind of strikes me as like a one falls, they all fall scenario, because if the market's so consolidated, 25% 
of the entire market carried by seven stocks and those seven are leading this charge um anyway so then you know with, within that if you're looking at the market you're looking for yield you're looking for value you're not looking for fomo you're not looking for hype and momentum necessarily um so getting back to the the america versus china the east versus west narrative um how would you frame the strength of the united states empire in this dynamic right now it's been a common conversation on my channel recently you know are we in the sunset years of the american empire or you know are we just very quick to to call the game early and in fact the american empire is still in its adolescence and about to enter the next stage of its global superpower what are your what's your take florian well that's a difficult question um if america would stick to its roots which is free market and mm. liberty and um free speech uh and, and all these things that have made it so strong i think uh, there would be no competition at all uh however as 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 you know as we all know uh, unfortunately uh this is not the direction america is is has, has been taken over the years and um uh, I think uh, looking at the population, it's it, it, it's. I mean, the only probably positive on that note is that there's a lot of immigration and a lot of new, so to speak, hungry people coming into the country that want to build up a life and have a better condition for themselves. That might be uh, something that will help. But um, other than that, um, the, the only real strength that America still has, besides having the, the largest financial markets, uh, um, is is its military. Um, but um, I, I personally would hope that peace uh, will prevail. Um, I only see warmongers wherever you go, whether it's the Ukraine crisis or if it's the, the situation in Israel, everywhere. I don't see any diplomacy. Um, at least it seems that things calmed down a little bit a few weeks ago um, when Xi Jinping visited America, because um, I think next year will be elections and they don't need another conflict. So, um, But in the longer run, I don't see how this will play out peacefully um behind the scenes lots of stuff is going on already um i don't know again i think if if america returns to free market and free speech yes uh, it will be and, and remain at the strongest country and, and and also will lead further into the 21st century uh, if if it takes the other way um i think the chinese know better how to how to run a dictatorship yeah okay right so the that's an interesting point. The, the further the U.S. migrates towards authoritarian-style leadership, eliminating free market, eliminating free speech, they enter an arena where they've got a competitor very versed in those things, very versed in uh, dictator-style leadership. That's an interesting take. So, yeah, on the, on the heels of, of Xi's visit to San Fran, do you perceive the tension between China and the U.S. escalating or de-escalating? Or do you have a take on maybe the significance of that visit and what lies ahead? Yeah, it seemed like uh, things have de-escalated a little bit. Uh, I mean, it's also important to to, to note that uh, the, the the economic situation in, in China seems to be challenging now. I mean, they have for months and months already deflation, and um, they, they're having a tough time getting back on their feet after that uh, implosion of the real estate bubble. Um, 
Let's see. I mean, there there can be certainly made some arguments for a case that that China would become the the the, the next uh, Japan, like like uh, Japan basically failed in the in the in the early nineties and never never really recovered. Um, but I, I think the, the circumstances are different and, and China is much bigger. And obviously, if you look at all the critical resources, I mean, it, it, China has basically their hand on most of, of Africa already, um, intervening now wherever they can in a, in a positive way, in a diplomatic way. Um, so it's going to be very interesting from a, like, studying it and observing it but obviously it's also pretty dangerous the whole thing and um part of it of course uh, is is the the dollar the petrodollar system which i mean certainly on your show as well has been extensively discussed i mean uh, the saudis are now able to sell their gold uh, against renminbi and uh, sorry their oil against renminbi in shanghai and then exchange it into physical gold even if they keep it in shanghai for now that's an alternative that the world hasn't seen for the last 50 years. Uh, the, the oil trade has definitely backed the whole uh, dollar uh, uh, and over the years. So it's going to be very interesting how this plays out. And you see more and more uh, countries coming to the forefront uh, with lots of uh, 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 um, yeah, power, basically, and 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 uh, just, just moving away from America. So... And if I look here into the eurozone, I mean, this the, it doesn't feel that there are any good new ideas coming out of it. Germany is in a in a very very challenging situation, um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, unless there is a clear policy change, uh, and even then, we all know that in the end of the day, it doesn't really bring a big change. Uh, new politicians. Um, uh, but I don't see a lot of good coming out of the West, honestly, at the moment. I personally continue to be very impressed by what uh, some of the leaders in the Middle East are doing. Uh, as you remember, I mean, we, we last time I, I, we spoke, I was in Dubai and I've been also visiting the Emirates and, and Saudi. And it looks like these are the, the guy, the only adults in the room at the moment. Um, and they are really having a balanced view and trying to, to to remain calm and peaceful and actually focusing on developing markets and um and less of a of a conflicting kind of party yeah interesting you know the the china like balance is very precarious or it strikes strikes me as such because as you mentioned they're you know experiencing some significant deflation foreign direct investments now turned negative significant debt and demographic challenges simultaneously have taken pseudo control of a lot of African resources, a lot of Eastern Russian resources, and that seems to be growing and completing international trade off the dollar now, increasing the influence of uh, yuan, renminbi. And it makes sense because, you know, if you're China, you're the world's largest customer of pretty much everything. And um, if you'll buy resources in Yuan, well, there's endless an endless market of things that the seller of those resources who are receiving Yuan can buy with Yuan from China being the world's manufacturer, right? And so it's an easy transaction, whereas, um, you know, not the same for obviously a country like India, they could offer to buy oil and rupees, but what are you going to do with rupees, right? It's not really a currency of high utility, whereas Yuan, Yuan is. And so- would you say, Florian, that this 
this balance of power between the East and the West might come down to leadership. You know, it's is it is it more than the big trends of geopolitics right now? It's like the West lacks strong leaders who can unify people behind, you know, a realistic vision, uh, not a fallacy one. Uh, we've seen a lot of that. And there really are no strong leaders coming out of the West, whether North America, Europe, you name it. I, I don't see any, frankly. What's your take? Yeah, it's very true. I, I think it takes will take a totally new generation at some point. Uh, um, and unfortunately, for I mean, there is this this old but still very very good saying that like um, only hard times create strong characters, right? Yeah. And I I'm afraid that we're not there yet. Like we haven't seen the real hard times in the West, unfortunately. Um, not for a while. Uh, it's we're, we're on that track certainly but um if you follow that uh that saying basically then yeah we're in for much harder times before some strong characters appear uh, on the on the public scene so that's a big problem and um yeah generally i mean again what i said before uh, we need uh, uh, free speech we need uh, free discussions we need uh, peaceful respectful uh, with each other but we've seen actually quite the contrary wherever you go uh, i mean uh, the, the of course here in germany is the same situation like in america the split between the parties between people between families it's it's still there it's it's not uh, basically getting better and most of the two uh, uh, parties don't want to talk with each other um so that that certainly makes things even more difficult and if you then look at what they are trying to implement uh, coming to the the, the the central bank digital currencies all the things that they're going to track us the digital i mean basically uh, what the west now is also trying to do is tokenize everything and it will be tokenizing yourself your life uh, uh, everything you did in your life uh, 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 um, not only your assets uh, but basically everything uh, your past your present your future and uh, we're basically uh, on a, on a crazy way towards dystopian future here in the West as well. So um, it's kind of difficult to 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 see how 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 something good will play out of it. Obviously, I personally uh, uh, will assume that 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 I will always find a way through this this craziness. But um, yeah, uh, it it is what it is, right? And. Um, um just can tell you my health insurance is is stressing me now i think the fifth time that they're writing me they want to have my digital uh, uh, uh they want to create basically a digital folder with all this stuff for me i don't want this it's not your business it's my own data it doesn't belong there and um it, this is just one little life uh, example that i can share here uh, where we will see that we become all digital slaves in the future so and in and, and that kind of situation it will be difficult to um, to challenge uh, uh, on a global scale, uh, China. I think. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So, a couple things there I want to pull on. Uh, we're we're beginning to paint a pretty dystopic future, and I think you know. Well, it's easy to make that argument because the the data is kind of staring us in the face. It's really easy to paint a, a bearish picture of the future because the data supports it, right? Even if you're just looking at the what the, the U.S. You look at 32 trillion in debt, two trillion dollar deficits. You look at you know, it's like endless data points. Whereas the bullish sentiment is more like uh, 
oh, we're best when we have our backs against the wall and we'll find a way forward. And it's kind of ambiguous, you know? Um, but we, we suffer from a, a, a term that Eric Prince coined called affluenza in the West. We've been affluent for a real long time and we haven't had to struggle for a very long time. And so in that context, us moving towards from a unipolar world to a multipolar world where maybe there is global competition, seems like it's going to get pretty dire. Things are very uncertain. Volatility increases. When in reality, multipolarity is, is kind of the mean and we're maybe reverting to that. I mean, in, until like 1991 and the fall of the Soviet Union, you know, since then there hasn't been a superpower in Europe, but that was the first time in 500 years that there wasn't a superpower in Europe. You know, there's, there's generally better power distribution around the world. So, and I would just say, you know, as, as bleak of an outlook as we might be painting, I'm an optimist on human nature in general. Like I'm, I'm long human ingenuity and progress, but the long trend, the major trends, if you step back from like year over year, you look at decade over decade or century over century, our life tends to improve the quality of life, life expectancy, um, you know, access to clean water, all this stuff tends to improve. So, so long-term I am optimistic. Let's get to capital allocation right now, Florian, because that's what, yeah. I mean, that's where it gets true for me. It's like, let's, let's, speak with our wallets, vote with our wallets about where we think the world's going to go and, and how we're going to come out on top. So what does your portfolio look like right now? Where are you allocating cash? Where are you playing offense? And, and where are you playing defense? Yeah, just let me add one thing. I mean, I, I, I strongly believe in mind creates matter. Okay, so you really, as long as you stick with yourself and you have a clear goal and, and a vision and, and, and the, the courage and the discipline to follow through, uh, you will figure out a way forward, but it has to be said that that we we are now really I think on a very critical edge here when it comes to mankind, because these uh, dystopian tools with like the digital uh, um, slavery that will be created at some point there is no escape anymore you know so that 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 is serious stuff, so um, we're gonna see how it plays out. Um, back to the capital allocation, so. Um, I strongly continue to believe uh, physical uh, gold uh, should be one of the cornerstones of your wealth protection kind of uh, uh, part in your portfolio. So I, I, um, I think ten uh, percent uh, is probably the minimum that that one should have in physical gold uh, at the moment, um, and I don't think that this will change anytime soon. And I would definitely not be willing to to wait for better prices or maybe the market come back down or whatever i think it's so stable you just want to have it and you just don't care whether it's up two three five percent or down five percent in the long run it will be up it will protect you it will be outside the, the banking system and um maybe there is a time when 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 you won't be able to get it anymore in your hands so it's better to do it while available and and while uh around $2,000, I think it's still okay to buy. Of course, um, it would have been better to buy much earlier, but some people have, have refused to look at gold. People who get gold obviously constantly buy more. So I think at least 10% uh, should, uh, of your net worth, of your total net worth should be in, in gold. And um, if you want to have it a little bit more aggressive, you can obviously mix maybe one one third silver and two third uh, gold. Uh, but you could also even go two third silver, one third uh, gold. But this is then really an aggressive allocation. Um, and as long as we're not really in that extreme 
cracked up hyperinflationary kind of setup, silver is always a challenging uh, metal. It's at such a small, tiny market, and it has these crazy moves to the upside, but also very much to the downside. And it's a byproduct of, of uh, the, the copper production of other uh, mining production. So it's a very tricky market. There is a few hardcore silver bucks out there. Um, I like to have it physically in my hand. I would not trade it. Um, um, and it's up to you if you want to mix a little bit more or less. So the 10% should be the minimum, preferably. I would even go to 25% uh, physical precious metals of your total net worth. I don't mind. Um, you can then add maybe another, in an extreme case, yeah, you could go 5 to 10% even uh, with Bitcoin. However, you have to understand that um, Bitcoin is very volatile and you need to be basically a contrarian and uh, a very disciplined approach. You cannot buy Bitcoin at 50,000 and 60,000 and sit through looking at it when it goes down to 15,000 and hoping it will recover to, to 100,000 at some point. I mean, this is like crazy volatile, right? This is something for traders and people who really look at the market, but for somebody who doesn't want to spend too much time with their finances and um, have basically a, a buy and hold uh, approach, it's a very challenging and tough asset. Um, and again, uh, also here, I would definitely uh, uh, say that it has to be in a cold wallet uh, with your own keys. So that's another discussion uh, we didn't yet open up. But uh, obviously, the Bitcoin ETF uh, is not uh, your wealth preservation, wealth protection uh, asset. Um, not your keys, not your coins. So uh, in this case, if you buy a Bitcoin ETF, you will not hold the real Bitcoins, but some form of uh, a promise or a derivative of it. You mentioned and earlier that you're not as enthusiastic on Bitcoin as you used to be. Did I hear that correctly? And if so, explain that to me. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I, I mean, I think that... Uh, there's so many reasons that uh, I have to scale back on my enthusiasm. I mean, I, I, I mean, bought my first Bitcoin way below hundred dollars more than 10 years ago, nearly 11 years ago. And I've, I've been on the board for quite some while. And, um, I think the most important thing that Bitcoin has achieved is that a, a generation of young people is aware of the problems in the fiat money system. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, but, uh, so far, it has failed in terms of really providing a payment alternative, uh, an alternative money system, basically. Yes, you can store and hodl and hide it away, but then again, it's already getting very complicated and it's still very complicated. So your grandmother won't, would not be able to like easily buy Bitcoin and store it on the ledger and it won't change. And as I just said, if you, if you go through an ETF, it's not your keys, not your coins. Uh, so. Um, suddenly, uh, basically what happens is that, that uh, I think the, 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 the big banks and wealth managers have realized we cannot stop the network, we cannot stop Bitcoin itself. And what you do if you cannot stop and fight against it, you embrace it. So they basically have embraced it. Uh, maybe at some point, uh, uh, BlackRock will be the largest Bitcoin holder. And um, But they own the keys, they hold the keys, not the people who bought the ETF. Mm -hmm. And they can do lots of stuff with it, as we know from the gold ETFs. I mean, uh, it probably one of the reasons why gold didn't come back above 2000 in the last 12, 13 years is that there has been a lot of ETFs and derivatives built on top of it. 
uh, which basically create uh, an artificial supply constantly. And now it's the physical market in Shanghai who basically pushes gold higher. And um, it's a pretty similar uh, uh, scenario that I see for, for Bitcoin. Of course, initially, it, the demand through, uh, with these Bitcoin ETFs will push prices much higher. But in the longer run, it's just a tool to basically hold prices down. And um, yeah, there's... Uh, Lots of problems in the blockchain and of Bitcoin itself. Um, I mean, uh, the ordinals con constantly create congestion. For example, uh, is very slow now. The, the the key lead developers discussing to change the code, but we all assume that uh, it's unchangeable. So it is changeable in the end of the day. So if we talk at some point about about much higher significant prices. Maybe there is some people having certain interests uh, that that uh, will force uh, changes at uh, the code as well. Of course, it's still a network kind of question, but um, I also don't like the euphoria everywhere I go. Um, so it's, yeah. it's not a variant kind of thing anymore. Um, and again, I mean, if you listen to all these uh, Bitcoin freaks nowadays, I mean, they all have uh, like the dollar signs in their eyes. And actually, I thought we want to go away from that. Hmm. So. Um, uh, it, it changed a lot. And I think for the original OG Bitcoin vendor guys, it's a little bit more questionable now what's going on. And obviously, it also has to be said very clearly that the noise from all these altcoins and scams and bad projects and fails, et cetera, et cetera, over the last few years, certainly have, have uh, kind of like um, created, a, created a bad taste generally uh, on the sector, which is not necessarily the fault of Bitcoin. But um, yeah, it, 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 other than crazy speculation, I don't really see any any progress uh, over the years. To be very honest, yeah, that's that's an interesting point. So, you know, the the promise that was once there hasn't necessarily materialized, and that it never or it hasn't yet actually become the tool of transaction that was maybe the hope um, and the biggest gain. From Bitcoin thus far might be the the philosophical understanding of of money, right? In that generation of that younger generation of, of Bitcoin investors, you know, I I see it similarly, Florian. Like my bet on Bitcoin is kind of a bet on demographics because if you were to draw like you know division lines between investors who want nothing to do with Bitcoin. Investors who are open to it, like five, ten percent of their portfolio, and then those that are just sort of all in. It's it's dem it's age. It's typically it's generation, you know. And so, you know, I look at that and I'm like, those who are very unsure about a digital currency will continue to age out. Um, the next generation, like my kids, I got three boys under ten years old. They're never going to think twice about digital currencies. I mean, they're digital natives. They they will grow up in a digitized world, full stop. And so there will not be that that foreign nature of like, but what is the intrinsic value of a digital currency? I don't know that they'll ask those questions. I mean, I'm going to do my best to make sure they understand the value of hard money. Um, and they they've seen my gold coins, and we talk about it. Actually, it's it's kind of fun. Um, but we have those conversations. Um, but uh, and it's interesting that so you see the ETF as potentially a tool to control price. Did I understand that part correctly? Yeah. 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 Yes, okay. for sure. Okay. Interesting. Legitimate. I mean, they of course want to make money as well, and if there is a huge demand for it, of course they bring an ETF to the market. Yeah. That's also 
a way to, 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 to explain it or understand it or look at it. But, um, again, like learning from the, the, the gold market, uh, we have seen that, I mean, once gold topped out in 2011, uh, the, the, the gold ETFs, people who would have bought physical gold would have not been able to just sell on a mouse click, uh, whenever they feel bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, um, that's actually the second big mantra in the Bitcoin space, HODL, right? Hold on to dear life. That's what initially was somebody misspelling the word hold. Um, and, and, and with an ETF, you throw it out whenever you want very quickly. You don't mind. And yeah. um, that, uh, it can obviously create huge uh, uh, supply at, at certain points in the market. The market tops out, breaks, whatever. And gold... Back then in 2011, I think fell nearly 50%, and nearly all the ETFs completely sold their gold. So, um, yeah, it, it's a questionable kind of thing. And and again, I I always thought that we wanted to revolutionize the money system, and now we it's going to be part of it. And I understand that if hedge funds and and banks want to invest in this, they need to have a proper way to do it, and it's not possible by buying the stuff on and putting it on a cold wallet <laughs> in a ledger. Uh, I totally get that, but um, again, I think the initial idea has been perverted. Yeah, you man, you made an interesting comment that just got my head spinning about the inability to, you know, most click sell your physical gold and how valuable that slow money is and how our obsession with fast is often to our own detriment, whether it's like fast money, fast food, you name it, like often these things don't serve our long-term interest. And the benefit of slow money is that it forces you to think through your decisions a lot more critically, right? Because you have to, you have to sleep on it. Um, you know, and I walked my audience through a real estate transaction I did last year where I had this opportunity to close in a very expeditious nature on, on a piece of property. Um, and I was squeezed on liquidity and I had to, I liquidated some of my gold, got the cash, closed on the property, wrote myself a promissory note that the ounces had to be paid back by the end of the year in addition to a fee of ounces. So the loan terms were in ounces, not dollars. Um, and, you know, we, we facilitated this, you know, I borrowed from the bank of Jay, bought the real estate, paid back all this stuff. But the interesting point to me was like, friends were like, well, if you had just held your savings in cash, you wouldn't have had to go through this arduous process of selling your physical gold, getting the cash, closing the transaction. And I was like, yeah, that's the point. Those guardrails are really important, right? That slows me down. Somebody who is super trigger happy like myself, it's actually beneficial to have slow money right that's an interesting point hmm. i think it's a very important point uh, i can just agree and confirm this from myself as well i mean my my physical stack has always uh, been very very good to be there and helpful in certain types and and before selling any of that i have actually spent a lot of time thinking about it you should. I, always, I, I always made sure to replenish it and then buy even more in 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 in, in, in the situations right so um yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's definitely changing things. And um, yeah, two, two important mantras, not your keys, not your coins and HODL. And those two are basically perverted with uh, the, the Bitcoin ETF. Mm, ah, okay, got it. All right, so, you know, uh, up to 10% precious metals weighting maybe two thirds gold, one third silver, but really like your, your own preference there, you're cool going up to 25% precious metals um five to ten percent bitcoin where else where else what else would we find in your portfolio today 
Well, uh, I think 30% is real estate, um, personally, um, and um, the portfolios that I, I, I help with and, and uh, consult with are, um, of course, not having any real estate inside, but mm. we play, as I said before, the, the dividend stock. So that's yeah. a, a little bit, also, again, a little bit more of a slow uh, kind of money approach. So and any industries that you're looking for, if you're looking for yield paying equities, are you looking at uh, certain sectors or where's your, where are you looking? No, I'm pretty much agnostic when it comes to that. Of course, bearing in mind that uh, the big picture, uh, 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 East West, what we talked about. So I still assume that we are in a commodity super cycle. So I probably have a bit more of a commodity exposure in, in the portfolio than most other who try to build a dividend portfolio. That means, for example, exposure to energy, uh, uh, oil and gas. And that means also to, to mining via BHP Billiton and Rio Tinto. So it's not financial advice here, but mm. um, I believe those two are great companies for just creating a cash flow. Uh, every year, they, I think, paying uh, uh, two times a year. Some, some even pay quarterly. So uh, that's nice. And that actually creates a different mindset also that constantly money is coming in you know like your focus shifts and 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 um even in those challenging times you suddenly see like there's constantly money coming in and not going out so that, that that's very good coming back to mind creates matter right you want to want to basically move in that type of energy through your life and um so, so that's the, at least the 25 percent and um there's also a part where we 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 play the 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 gold mining stocks, of course, because that's what I'm doing for years. Um, and um, that again is a very individual kind of uh, question: how how much you want to expose uh, post, uh, uh, to this this uh, very volatile and challenging sector? But it can be, of course, very rewardful at some point. Hmm. Um, so uh, I have not uh, touched any small exploration developer kind of stocks in the last two or three years, but uh, I've been very optimistic a few years, a few weeks ago now uh, that the, the, the mining stocks probably will have a good few months ahead. So I'm interested in the small to mid scale kind of producers at the moment, because I believe if gold continues to move higher, um that's where the, the margins basically kick in that's where the balance sheets uh really look nice at a higher gold price and um the risky speculative small juniors exploration kind of stocks they come later in the cycle where we are not at the moment so uh, right now gold is fighting with this breakout we had the monthly close end of november above two thousand dollar which i think is an important signal we had a new all-time high on Monday. I thought, uh, basically, I expected some kind of development like we've seen, but I didn't expect it to be happening in a few hours. I thought it would yeah. take at least two weeks uh, to play out. Um, so now it has to hold above 2,000 and then maybe try again to to, to break out above this uh, former all-time high at 2,075. And then I think at some point the mining stocks will kick in. And, and so uh, you want to have this exposure and yes, the smaller Canadian exploration companies can go 10, 50 X, whatever they can. They will probably in the end of the day, if you're, if we look back in a few years, but, uh, it's going to be a crazy roller coaster. And, um, 
it's a very speculative part of the portfolio. And right now, I don't feel like I need to be part of that. But uh, certainly, once the Fed will start lowering interest rates again at some point over the next uh, three to three months to two years, I think that uh, these mining stocks will be very interesting. So I'm I'm uh, just constantly screening those kind of stocks, but I'm I'm not willing to deploy capital at the moment at this risky part of the mining stock sector. I rather stick with the the, the small and mid producers. Well, because yeah, great, and I, I totally agree with you because you can right now. You can buy gold producing, healthy balance sheet companies at crazy cheap valuations, relative, especially relative to their prices only two and a half years ago. You know, um, and there's there's a reason that I love that. But you know, first, just it's a very balanced portfolio, Florian. You've got your you know, sort of sort of barbell approach here where you've got your safe haven, uh, non-correlate asset classes, low low counterparty risk, your your gold, your your Bitcoin over on one end, and you're quite heavy there. Um you have your yield generating positions because the impact that incoming cash flow has on your mindset is very impactful. I love that you mentioned that, like and just how it probably shifts your decision making on a day to day because it's a bit of an insurance policy and some diversity of cash flow and all this stuff. Um, you know, it's it's funny how frequently people ask me about, you know, where should I park some cash or what stocks should I look at and all this stuff. And after we dig into their picture a little bit, it's like you you don't have an investment problem. You have a cash flow problem. You know, it's not you don't need to pick the winning stock. You need to fix your cash flow problem right now. And so you know, addressing that with your portfolio as well, super, super valuable. And then on the equities front, like just, you know, buying gold stocks, I completely agree. You don't have to go to the super sketchy speculative stuff that may deliver the five to 20 bagger, but um, comes with crazy risk and probably a lot of time right now. Whereas you can walk into these mid-tier producers um, and scoop them up at present for pennies in the dollar. And that game won't last, right? If the gold price continues to rally, like we know what's going to happen. It's the same thing that happens every single time. The the commodity underlying commodity price rockets, the equities follow suit a few months later. So um, uh, very interesting anywhere. Okay. So look, I, I want to thank you for chatting with me today and coming on the show and, and um, sharing your outlook, sharing your portfolio allocation, where you're putting cash and, and why. Um, anywhere we can point people today who want to hear more from you, Florian. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jay. People can go to MidasTouch-Consulting.com. That's our website. And we also have a free Telegram channel, Midas Touch Consulting, where lots of people from all over the world meet and talk about gold, silver, mining stocks, commodities, and Bitcoin and cryptos. Uh, it's kind of a mastermind group. It's free. Uh, just uh, join us. Uh, everybody's behaving well and respectfully. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> That's that. a place to all right. Yeah. Midas touch, uh, dash consulting.com. And, uh, and also add Florian grooms on Twitter. It's in the handle there. Look, thanks so much for joining me today. It's always great catching up with you, Florian. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jay. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.